Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the television industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a guy who would bring a funeral program to a knife fight, my co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airwaves. This week's ATA was planned to be a shortened episode due to many of our shows being on hiatus, but with the Daytona 500 preempting Alcatraz, this episode has been cut down even more to just reviewing Castle and the highly anticipated mid-season premiere of Psych, as well as us giving our favorite comedic moments from this week's Modern Family. And with that, we're going to move into the favorite section of everyone who's listens to this podcast, News with Nico. <laughs> Comic-Con Episode 4, A Fan's Hope trailer released. It was announced this week that Morgan Spurlock's Comic-Con Episode 4, A Fan's Hope documentary will be released in theaters and straight-to-video on demand April 6th, with a multi-city tour of the film kicking off on April 5th in Atlanta. Presented by Stan Lee, Joss Whedon, and Harry Knowles, Comic-Con Episode 4 of Fans Hope takes a behind-the-scenes look at the annual event where fans gather in San Diego, California to geek out over comics, video games, television, and movies. As a huge television, film, comic book, and sci-fi geek, Dan and I both love Comic-Con, and Comic-Con is something we've both always wanted to experience. Luckily, now that I live in L.A. and am close enough to do so, I've submitted my application and been accepted as a volunteer this year at Comic-Con. Thus, I will be attending the Geektastic event this year. And reporting about it on ATA. Hopefully so. Yes. (laughs) This documentary looks amazing and gives you a behind-the-scenes look that we all want to see. Also, everybody's favorite comic book fat man, Kevin Smith, also gets stars. For tour dates and links to the trailer, check out the link on our Facebook page. Very awesome. I'm hoping we can get our hands on that movie to actually maybe do a commentary on it. Maybe Michael and I or whoever. We'll see. That would be awesome. Yes. Community has a return date. Yes. NBC has finally got their heads out of their asses and decided to bring Community back to our TVs every Thursday night. As I mentioned last week, starting March 15th, I was correct on my guess. Nice. Community will return to Thursdays at 8 p.m. But with Community returning, it means NBC's other shows have to scoot out of the way and play musical chairs. When the music stopped this week, Parks and Recreation was left standing and will take a five-week break before it returns on April 19th. 30 Rock will move to 8.30. The office will stay put at 9 p.m and Up All Night will run straight through to the conclusion of its 24-episode order before it gives way to Parks and Rec. Okay. 
Friday Night Lights' Amy Teagarden is going to star in the CW's Hunger Games-esque potential rip-off entitled The Selection. The Friday Night Lights star has been cast in the lead role for the CW's Hunger Games-esque drama pilot that's described as an epic romance set 300 years in the future which centers on a poor young woman who is chosen by lottery to participate in a competition to become the next queen for a war-torn nation at a crossroads. For 35 girls, the selection is a chance of a lifetime, the opportunity to escape the life laid out for them since birth, to be swept up in a world of glittering gowns and priceless jewels, to live in the palace and compete for the heart of the prince. So it's a little bit oh. Hunger Games, a little Bachelorette. Yeah, it or sounds like CW. <laughs> Again, they're not doing so hot with the tea dramas the sci-fi has for, yeah. for the, the past, as we know. This is a little interesting. I guess we'll see what happens, but again, the network needs to mix it up, and this makes sense. Yeah, the CW show is based on a forthcoming book due out for release on April 24th. This seems very similar, though not completely the same, as the premise behind the much-loved and highly anticipated Hunger Games movie based on the wildly successful books. I've not read any of them, but plan to soon. Well, after I get done with Game of Thrones and the rest of the Song of Ice and Fire series. Good. Read that first, Nico. Absolutely. Yeah, that, people are more pumped up about that. Milo Ventimiglia has been cast in Frank Darabont's L.A. Noir. The Heroes star and Gilmore Girl guest star Milo Ventimiglia will be returning to TV in Walking Dead creator Frank Darabont's new show, L.A. Noir. Described as a fast-paced, period thriller based on the acclaimed novel by the same name and the basis behind the video game. The project centers on the 1940s-50s era epic battle between Los Angeles Police Chief William Parker and boxer-turned-mobster Mickey Cohn. Ventimiglia will play Ned Stacks, a former Marine who served during World War II and is now an up-and-coming lawyer who has been groomed to be a fixer for the mob. This show could be amazing. Just absolutely amazing. Yeah. But it could also be like many of the other period piece shows that have tried to capture the magic of Mad Men and failed. I, however, hope this is successful because a noir series sounds awesome, especially after the critical success of the Castle Noir episode yeah. earlier this month. I would say this will work because it'll probably have more action than Mad Men. And I think Frank Darabont is going yes. to be the success behind this series because Walking Dead was an amazing adaptation of a great yes. comic book. And I think he has the skill to overcome the difficulties that some of the other period pieces have had, and he will be successful where they have failed. And, and he's got the experience for it as well. Exactly. So if you get Frank Darabont's name on something, you're in really, really good shape. Fox orders a superhero animated show from Patton Oswalt. While Fox's pilot season has mostly been concentrating on live-action comedies, the network also is keeping its animated pipeline flowing. Fox has given a presentation order to Working Class Hero, an animated comedy starring actor-comedian Patton Oswalt. The project is set in a world where superheroing is just another low-paid government job and centers on a dad, played by Oswald, whose powers are no match for his misfit superhero co-workers and his demanding family. I like Van Oswald. It could be fun. It could be a lot of fun. Finally, Alcatraz and The Finder most likely to be canceled based on recent ratings and history of performance of both replacement shows. 
Take a week off and many things can become clear. In Fox's case, it's now clear that both Alcatraz and The Finder are more likely to be cancelled than renewed at the end of this season as their ratings continue to fall. Note that while their most recent ratings have caused this reassessment, their averages are still higher than a few shows already cancelled. Fox did also get a slight bump up from the announcement of both shows' season finales being announced this week, but I expect those will be series finales as well. I still don't think this helps Terra Nova. Rather, Fox should just develop a new show or continue with Fringe. If Terra Nova sees a season two and Fox cancels Fringe, we will not be very happy here at ATA. Right, because they're going for ratings rather than quality programming, which is unfortunate that the quality programming aren't getting the higher ratings. And on that note, I want to let you guys know, Nico and I are probably going to be dropping Alcatraz. This indication that the show's going to get canceled. Again, also the fact that we're not really having fun writing about it each week in the script or reviewing it because we feel like we're complaining about the show all the time to you guys. We are really thinking about passing on reviewing the show, especially when we've got some things coming out or restarting again that we're really excited about, such as the whole DC Nation programming block on Cartoon Network, which will feature the return of Young Justice. So we are much more inclined to review that because we are much more excited about it than based on the success of Michael's Retro Reviews show, which is primarily focused on superheroes. We're thinking that you guys as our listeners are going to be way more excited about hearing about those shows as well. So we're going to drop Alcatraz to review Young Justice and the Green Lantern animated series coming out. And if you guys feel differently about that, please feel free to email us and let us know. Again, the decision can still be somewhat yours on what show we want to continue, but right now we're seriously considering dropping Alcatraz. But our other newcomer, Once Upon a Time, will be safe. That show's very successful right now. We're very excited about that show, so we're going to keep that around. And also, this summer we're probably going to be adding some more shows to our slate, such as Warehouse 13, and we'll probably be covering Alphas and Falling Skies when they return. So keep an eye out for that. But for now, we're going to drop Alcatraz, and we're going to keep going ahead with everything else. Nico, did you have anything you wanted to put in there about the dropping of Alcatraz? No, as Dan said, it was just that neither of us are really having much fun reviewing it each week, and we're not really getting much feedback from the fans on their excitement for the show either, so we thought this is the best course of action. Right. And I want to thank uh, Jay Hansen real quick for giving us some feedback on Once Upon a Time. It's saying that he liked hearing us discussing that. Uh, he did that through Twitter. And that's the news with Nico for this week. And with that, we're going to move on to a show that's very, very successful right now. It gets us excited every week and does a heck of a job of telling a great mystery story. So let's take it away with the Castle episode, Once Upon a Crime. Deceit, betrayal, and secrets are all part of the case of fairy tale killer. Castle and Beckett find nothing is as it seems after the bodies of two women, one dressed as Red Riding Hood and one as Snow White, are found murdered. With this week's episode of Castle, I was really glad to see that the writer of the episode went with using the fairy tale theme as a tool to get the audience intrigued with the mystery, rather than using it as an excuse to have scenes similar to the flashbacks in the Noir episode, where the cast of Castle would take on the roles of various fairy tale characters. I just think that taking Castle's characters out of their accustomed setting twice in the same season, with only three weeks separating the episodes, would have made this fairy tale theme extremely gimmicky and feel like a giant marketing ploy to get people to watch another show on ABC, the new addition to our slate of reviews, Once Upon a Time. 
actually, in thinking back on it, the only thing in this episode that dealt with the fairy tale theme in a physical sense was the crime scenes and dialogue between Castle and Beckett. Because the mystery, for the most part, had to do with an I know what you did last summer scenario involving three party girls who tried to cover up killing the guy they were with at a fairy tale costume party in a hit and run accident. And at first, the mystery going in the direction of, I know what you did last summer, made it seem extremely predictable. And it did not help that I already figured the first victim's brother-in-law was the killer, just by recognizing him from other TV shows. In fact, I think Nico posted an article about him joining a Law & Order show, or something like that, on our Facebook page. However, this episode managed to save itself from predictability by the mystery setting up the comedic scene where Ryan and Esposito bust into an old lady's apartment filled with creepy dolls. And then later on, we got the twist of the brother-in-law being a criminal, but not a killer, as he confesses that he only blackmailed the three girls, because it was his brother who was killed in a hit-and-run accident. Again, it originally appears that the brother-in-law is going to be charged with blackmail and the murders due to the evidence. But Castle in the 11th hour manages to prove the girl, dressed as Sleeping Beauty, the night of the hit-and-run accident, committed the murders of the two other girls, through the small little detail of the way she tied the bow on the dresses that she put her victims in, compared to the dress she put on herself, who tried to fake that someone was trying to kill her. On that note, I liked it how Castle was the one who pulled out the victory on solving this mystery, because the fact that he was able to help out Beckett on a detail she overlooked somewhat gave off this vibe that his mystery skills seemed to be continuously improving while being around Beckett. As for the fun side plot of this episode, we got a nice story between Castle and his mom, because he comedically tried to come to grips with Martha's one-woman show a biography of her life that was quite fictional, minus some of the parts about being a mother. And through Beckett giving Castle advice on how to deal with this situation that was quite uncomfortable for him, we got the concept that I took away the most from this episode. About needing fairy tales, three minus the happy endings are still possible, which is something the writers reminded us of for Castle and Beckett, because the episode ended with them exchanging another handhold. And that's the second time that's happened within three weeks. So with the thought that maybe some slightly more fiery romance is on the horizon for Castle and Beckett, I'm going to pass things on to you, with your thoughts about this week's episode of Castle. After the excitement of the last two weeks where Castle and Beckett single-handedly saved the world, or at least the U.S. economy, from total destruction, it was interesting to see a more down-to-earth, almost quiet episode getting back to the essentials of their working relationship. And in that regard, this episode was excellent. I also very much enjoyed the fairy tale theme of the killings and the mention of cosplay by Castle and how he mentioned that he once researched both the innocent and the more sexualized side of the phenomenon. These were all excellent in the episode. Where I felt this episode sort of struggled, however, was the lack of a significant sized pool of suspects. With too small a pool of potential suspects, the character you, Dan, and I both suspected as the killer, Darren, also happened to be married to the sister of the first victim and the brother-in-law of the first victim. So that was just too close. And it it seemed that Darren didn't mind blackmailing his sister's or his wife's sister. It seems an odd choice on the part of the writers. Also, it seemed as if the writing team realized they didn't have enough of these introduced characters in the episode, and so they decided to tack the murder on a character introduced earlier during the investigation of the first murder. Also, the mystery resolution this week seemed pretty weak sauce to me overall. Castle realized the murderer was the final victim because of the way the bow was tied, meaning that she could only have tied it herself, and that was kind of a weak finish for me. I thought it could have been such a better end to the mystery. 
This may be a symptom of having had such a great two-part mystery the last two weeks, and this one seeming even weaker because of the strength of the previous mystery, but still, I thought it was just overall pretty weak. Regardless, like I said, there was some great character development and interactions in this episode. For instance, Castle is thankful to be on the first crime scene with Beckett at the beginning because he's able to happily escape another harebrained attempt by his mother Martha, who has taken over his personal space to write an overly fictionalized version of her life for her new one-woman show. And then later in the episode, Castle is complaining like Cinderella about how he has no privacy or life anymore between seeing his daughter Alexis at work with the medical examiner Lainey and his mother invading every inch of his home and life and her crazy dramatics and the one-act plays. And Beckett makes a comment about his books and him invading her life. And, you know, it was really He's, great. He denies it. That was yeah, great. he deflects it saying it's not the same thing. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I wasn't Castle. Yeah, it was. I wasn't really a fan of the crazy Martha play aspect of this episode, and I felt they could have cut it and it would have been better used to develop more suspects or more characters for that pool of suspects I was talking about earlier. But for these Castle and Beckett interactions that it spawned, suffering through Martha's play was worth the relationship development. So I thought in that sense it was very good. Especially in the end. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Where they get that handhold at the end, that, like you said, is huge. Finally, the scene where Castle and Beckett try to track down the killer from the costumes and discover the the charges and the costume orders were made to a Jamie Isaacson, a sweet, if not strange, old lady who collects creepy dolls and has no idea who the murderer is or how the purchases of the costumes came to be at her place. And I thought that was done very successfully. And it was actually a pretty funny scene with how weirded out Detective Ryan was because he never really got over Chucky as a kid. And just how well the actress played the weird old lady in her dolls, that was great. This episode really made me smile with it. Poor Ryan. Yeah. So when I look at this episode, did I hate this episode? Of course not. Will this episode be one that I remember from the show? Probably not. Ultimately, it'll probably be an episode that fades from memory with time. But was it terrible? No. Was it not what I was looking for? Yeah, probably. This is just what happens when you come out of such a high point or a monumentous episode. Always the episode after that is always kind of a, uh, it's a bit of a downer. Yeah, the only way they could have probably prevented that would be come right back with a triple killer. And that right. would have been too much, you know, too much exactly. too soon. So ultimately, this is a byproduct of having such a successful episode. Last week, you are going to maybe be disappointed with the follow-up. This was a very weird episode to go into a hiatus with. Right. But I think they knew they had competition coming from NBC with the release of Smash and stuff like that. So I think they moved some things around, in my opinion. Normally shows try to end things on a big, you know, high note when they go into hiatus. So when you come back, you can get away with kind of a weaker episode like this one. Just for, you know, based on nostalgia factor. Because you're glad it's back. Right, exactly. That's, That's at least how I would have done it. But again, you know, for whatever reason, they went this route. And as you said, it wasn't a terrible episode at all. They had some good stuff, just it was a little weak on some other stuff. But you know what? This is a strong standard episode, and that's what you're looking for. Yeah. So I, th- I think we're satisfied. Again, it seems like there's more romance with Castle Beck and on the horizon. So it's a lot of great stuff to look forward to. Yeah, they even had the great line where he says something about her being angry, and he's like, you're always cute when you're angry. And then she gave him a look, and he's like, 
not when you're angry at me. <laughs> that was another, you know, little right. little movement that shows they are evolving the relationship. Right. And I think when it comes back, there's going to be a strong study run towards them getting closer. For us, hopefully not to get a monkey wrench in the finale, but we'll see. So with that, we're going to move on to another episode of a show about women getting angry. And that's Modern Family with the episode Leap Day. Mitchell tries to make Cam's birthday real special. Jay's manliness becomes questionable, and the girls mess up Phil's leap day plans. My modern family memory for this episode would have to be Luke and Phil having to contend against what he called Satan's trifecta, or in other words, that time of the month for the Dumpy women, and how their plan to escape the madness using fake blood failed miserably. Although, in the end, Phil somewhat came out on top, as he used the old, if you can't beat them, then join them strategy, as he used the Dunphy women's emotional issues to earn himself a swing on the trapeze. So with that, Nico, what was your modern family memory? Dan, I have to agree. My modern family memory would have to also be Phil and Luke's combating the Dunphy women's menstruation monster. I love the scene where Luke spilled the fake blood on himself, and Phil asked him, what happened? And he said... The cap fell off, and I decided to just go with it. (laughs) Phil and Luke are always my favorites, and this week was no exception. Yeah, they made a great pair in this episode. And I love Manny, how he just kept wanting to go home. Well, I thought that was kind of a a weak part for Manny. I I thought it would have been funnier if he had gotten in on it somehow. But I could see that it was supposed to be Phil and Luke. Right, and that's kind of how it always is. It's either, you know, Manny and Luke or Phil and Luke. Yeah. It's neither... All three. But you're right. They could have gotten away with that. So anyway, we're going to move on to the other comedic part of my Wednesday night. And that was the return of a show that I've been looking forward to for the past few weeks. Got that psych with a fantastic and ton of fun episode entitled Indiana Shaw and the Temple of the Kind of Crappy Rusty Old Dagger. Thank you out in the end. Despero Returns. This time on the trail of a legendary dagger rumored to unlock the hidden fortune of a billionaire, recently deceased. Now, if only he, Sean, and Gus can put their hands on it before the gang of art thieves beat them to it. After months of anticipation, the slump-avoiding sixth season of Psych returned with a super-sized episode that went all out on the guest stars, scenery, and effects to give us a well-crafted spoof on Indiana Jones while throwing in references to Back to the Future and Star Wars. And what would a Psych spoof on Indiana Jones be without paying respect to the original source material by having the creator of the museum that got robbed in this episode be played by John Rice Davies, otherwise known as Sala from Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Last Crusade. However, that's not all we got for guest stars, as Carrie Ells returned to play international thief Pierre Despero, and Kurt Fuller showed up in this episode again as Woody. Again, I know that Kurt Fuller has pretty much reached the level of series regular, but I feel obligated to mention his scenes here on ETA, because the character of Woody the Coroner always gives me a huge laugh. Speaking of appearances, Despero returning to Psych gave us all the action, excitement, and adventure of the previous episodes that he's been on. But this time we got to see Sean in a full Indiana Jones getup, complete with a fedora, and he even used Indy's trademark bullwhip to get himself and Gus out of danger in a very hilarious fashion. Plus this scene, which was one of my favorite parts of the episode, featured this funny sequence where Sean and Gus got on the wrong boat to escape the bad guys. And Despero kept driving by on the right boat, making this annoyed expression. Then all the fun and games kind of came screeching to a halt, as Despero's boat was blown up by the gang of art thieves, who stole the treasure Sean and Gus was trying to recover. 
that at first, based on his previous appearances, especially the one where he escaped from jail, I agreed with Sean that he faked his death. But then, thanks to some really great writing, I began to think Sean was in denial. Especially when this episode got really, really serious. Again, I think that this episode was probably the most serious this show has got. But again, it really worked because ultimately, Sean facing the mature theme of death with Despero was about getting him a step closer towards becoming the adult who we think can marry Jules. By this whole situation erupting into a comedic but yet emotionally driven physical altercation between Sean and Gus over their fear of losing each other through either death or one of them deciding to get married like Sean almost did in the previous episode. Eventually, after getting themselves in a very awkward position, did somewhat gassy position, Sean and Gus broke up the fight, working out their differences to search for the secret fortune the gang of art dealers were after. By Sean trying to use the kind of crappy, rusty old dagger he got from Despero on every slot he could find in a billionaire's mansion to unlock a secret chamber, while Gus distracted a tour guide who I thought was a really well-developed, quirky character that played great by the actress who did the role. In the end, it is revealed that Despero is alive as he saves Sean and Gus from the leader of the gang of art dealers and helps them uncover the billionaire's fortune, which turns out to be nothing but his attempts at being an artist. On that note, I was at a crossroads about Despero still being alive, because I felt that it kept Sean from resolving his issues with loss, or losing Gus. But on the flip side, I was glad that Despero was able to live on to fight another day, since Carrie Ells is a fun guest star, and I want him to come back, which is something that seems likely because Despero came out on top at the end of this episode with the billionaire's fortune. In other words, Despero has to come back, since I don't think the writers of the show are going to end things for his character without Sean getting the last laugh, especially when Despero dropped a line about the apprentice now becoming the master, which of course was Star Wars. Anyway, my final consensus about this supersized episode is that its extra time was used in an effective manner to give us everything we could want from a mid-season finale, proving once again that Psyche is on its way to avoiding a six-season slump, because this show just keeps getting better, and I cannot wait to see how things play out as we head towards the season finale. So in honor of John Rice Davies, being in this episode, you could have my ox, Nico, while you give us your thoughts on this adventurous episode of Psych. Dan, this was a great episode of Psych, and really jump-started the return of this great show after an excruciatingly long hiatus. This was a mid-season return that only Psych could deliver. Despero, a mythical treasure, a fake death, and treasure hunters— Indeed, Indiana Sean and the Temple of the Kinda Crappy Rusty Old Sword was a clever and compelling welcome back for our boys Sean and Gus. Welcome back, psych indeed. The Indiana Jones theme was so well done, and to have John Rice davies guest star was a brilliant touch on the show's part to really give us that subtle reference back to the great Indiana Jones series of our childhoods. Everything about this episode was an homage to our, our childhoods, including the many other subtle references to Indiana Jones, such as the use of maps when the guys were traveling, the costumes, the bullwhip. All these references were made to make this episode successful. Here are just a couple of the highlights of the episode I found. Sean in the Indiana Jones gear had to be yes. the absolute number one highlight of the episode. I was smiling ear to ear when he showed up in full gear with the bullwhip, the World War II gas mask satchel, and the fedora. Sean and Gus getting into a physical altercation. This was a hilarious scene. I was not expecting it, and that's what made it even better. Sean hiding the dagger in his pants. Classic Sean. Yes. Lassiter's complete lack of sensitivity. Again, classic Lassie. 
the flashbacks to the loss of Lizardy. That really set the stage for yeah. the faux funeral and Shaw's terrible yet funny eulogy. You know, Psych is a comedy series, and thus Despero's death was unexpected. Maybe foreshadowed, but still unexpected. When Sean hangs on to the notion that Despero somehow faked his demise, it's easy for us to believe him. Until Henry, played by ATA favorite yeah. Corbin Burnson, presents Sean with the positive DNA match. Of course, Despero really is alive, but kudos to Psych for creating such a successful and wonderfully played fake out. Well, that's the because you had the most serious character come and give the information. Exactly. Yep. The tale of Despero's death is meaningful because it addresses how Sean cannot deal with losing anyone. In the flashback, viewers see this begins with the, the numerous pets in Sean's childhood. However, in the present day, he has a very difficult time accepting grief still. It's a character element not really played upon until this episode, and yet it's still a very interesting one. I think it's been played out a little bit before with his mom leaving. Yeah, but it, they never really touched on the death, his inability yeah, to grieve. That's true. Now, it can be extrapolated that much of Sean's cavalier attitude springs from his resistance to experience and express real emotions and is a coping mechanism to avoid pain. Faced with the possibility that Despero is actually dead, Sean flounders. He really kind of just shut down. And Dan, as you said, yeah. these scenes are showing that Sean is growing as a character and is becoming ready to marry Jules. But I'd counter that this episode and this revelation about his inability to deal with death shows just how much further he still has to go. Right. We know that ultimately they will be together. But this episode just shows that Sean is not ready for that kind of real adult relationship yet. And the mid-season hiatus showed that Jules is not ready for a serious relationship with Sean either. But you are correct in that they are headed in the right direction and are building up to that marriage finale we will see. It's a good move that they kind of slowed it down. Yeah, I agree. Because I think with Chuck, I know we love that show. But and again, the humor is similar on site compared to Chuck. And I think Chuck, they got too close too fast. And okay. that's kind of why the show lost a little bit of its thunder in the fourth season. I think Psych complicating a little bit more, but doing it in logical ways is really good. Yeah, and can I just say, the best line of the episode was when Sean said, you can no more do that than Gus can control his bladder during intercourse. <laughs> that line had me roaring. It was just great. I loved it when he knocked the fedora off his head. Yes. And Sean's like, you're just mad because there's no Black Rider Raiders. He's like, yeah, there was a Black Rider. He drove the boat. That cracked me up. Yeah, this was a great episode. Just really oh, yeah. had me laughing and remembering why I love this show so much. Well, and it was total Sean and Gus. A lot of people gave the mid-season finale a lot of grief because it was Sean and Jules. Right. And they wanted Sean and Gus as the team. And this one was about them and their friendship and them working together as a team. And I, I think that was great. It was a great way to come back. Yeah, I think the only misstep they had was that they started off the episode very smartly with Gus confronting Sean about the ring, yeah. but then they failed to mention it at any point the remainder of the episode to keep that conflict going so that it could be somewhat resolved at the end of the episode like it was, essentially. But I think they could have mentioned it one or two times. Gus could have been a little more jealous during the actual mystery and make a comment or two offhandedly just to let us know that it is still bothering him and then they can move forward with that. I don't think the way they did it is wrong. I just would have liked to see a little bit more of it. Well, I think the fight was because of it. Somewhere. Oh, absolutely it was. But if yeah. he had made a comment about Sean and Jules before that fight broke out, it would have exemplified it even more. Right. Because I, I really do, I think the losing each other was somewhat of the, the wedding aspect. Yes. And and the death thing just brought it up more. 
or or had Sean confront it. I think yeah. Sean would have blown it off if the death didn't happen. Yeah, Gus is going to die more likely before me if statistics are right. Okay. <laughs> and that was the thing. It got really serious, and it got really deep and emotional, but it still had fun with itself. Oh, absolutely. It, it didn't get out of the world, which, I mean, yeah, that's hard to do, and to keep a mystery going as well. Right. I mean, that was great, and I thought all the guest stars were used very effectively in this episode. Very much so. Um, and, and Despero was great, as usual. I think he gets better every time he's appeared on the show. Yeah. Now, there has been some question as to whether he will return again. I think you're absolutely right. He needs to come back, and Sean needs to get the upper hand on him this time. But since he has faked his death and essentially gotten away with everything, for him to come back would be questionable. The thing is, I, with this show, anything is possible. Right. I, I really go with that. Psych exists in a world that's similar to a cartoon, where I think physically are sometimes questionable and other things like that. So who knows? They could call back. I mean, in this episode itself, I mean, it's crazy that he just called the guy up and he just shows up. Right. You know, forget. I would have liked it if he went with Batman, the original idea. So again, that sums it up. A lot of fun. Can't wait to see where this show goes for the rest of the season. And I can't wait to see where they're going with the knockoff of The Shining next week involving Lasseter. That could be pretty nuts. Anyhow, we're going to move on now. Again, I know this is a shorter episode, but we've got to let the fun end. So we're going to move on now to the closing for this week. Danica, you want to take it away with what we got going on on our show? Because there's a lot of different stuff coming people's way. Yeah, on next week's episode, we're going to be mixing things up big time. As we've decided, as we mentioned before, to dump Alcatraz from this show. We felt that you guys are tired of hearing us complain about it, and Dan and I were not having any fun reviewing it. In its place, we're going to be reviewing Young Justice and Green Lantern, as well as animated shorts that will be airing during or in between these shows as part of the DC Nation programming block that will be premiering Saturday, March 3rd on Cartoon Network at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. And as always, we will be reviewing the week's new episodes of Once Upon a Time and Psych as we wait for our favorite shows to return from this hiatus. And that's most likely going to be in April for most of the shows. Yes. I think Castle and some of them come back end of March, but the majority is going to be in April. Mm -hmm. Also, if you would like, you could check out our Smallville Retro Reviews, hosted by Michael J. Petty and Woo Kim. They have all sorts of great reviews on past Smallville episodes based on writers of the show, certain seasons or just what they feel like for the week so check out that show it's a lot of fun also we have a new addition to our show and it's basically what i like to call a podcast mini series called road to the avenger where michael and i are going to be providing you with audio commentary while we watch in order all of the films connected to the highly anticipated avengers movie coming out on may 4th and with our road to the avengers show we've already released a commentary on iron man so check that out it's got some great insight about robert downey jr's performance in the episode get some of our thoughts for where iron man is going to go in the avengers movie so check that out also if you'd like to talk to us about the return of psych any of the avengers movies we're commentating on or any of our other favorite shows feel free to visit our website at www.acrosstheairwaves.com and by visiting our site you can contact us through email at across the airways at gmail.com again that's across the airways at gmail.com you can also click the like button to access our facebook page which features all the news that nico finds out during the week beyond what is featured on this podcast at his news with nico video podcast and you can do the same thing by visiting our Twitter, which is Across Airways. There's no the there's Across Airways. 
iPad. This is also a great place to keep updated on the release of our podcast episodes from the video podcast that Nico does to Smallville Retro Reviews to this show and our Avengers commentaries. So it's a great way to keep track of news that's going on here at ATA. Also, you can access our Google Plus page, which also features a news feed for the news that Nico finds out during the week. And it's also another way that you can contact us to keep in touch with our show. So we appreciate you joining our site. Also, if you'd like, and we haven't gotten one of these in a long time, we would love to have a voicemail from you guys with your thoughts or your crackpot theories on any of the shows we cover. We especially would enjoy one on Fridge. So if you could, call and leave us a voicemail. And what's that number, Nico? 773-809-3363. Also, you can access our YouTube channel, which features all sorts of previews and promos for ATA events and our podcast episodes made by Michael J. Petty. And he's just released a new promo for our Road to the Avengers show. So check out the promo. It's really cool, really well done, and the music's pretty awesome on it, too. Also on our YouTube channel, you can watch all of Nico's News with Nico video podcasts. So check that out. And also you can see Nico so you can put a face to the voice you hear every week on our podcast. So definitely check that out. Also, you can get our Android app, which is available by clicking the link on the right-hand side of our page. Then by purchasing that app, you can contact us in all the ways I just mentioned and also listen to our podcast episodes right through your cellular phone. So, once again, for our Smallville Retro Reviews host, Michael J. Petty, and Wu Kim, I'm Dan Schmitz. And I'm Nico Reifstein. And until next week, we'll catch you out of the airwaves. And kudos to Sykes Riders on a great return, but I can't wait to see what's going on for them with the rest of the season. See you guys. Now return to our regularly scheduled program.